0: I mean, I was told by my film professor, there are films and there are movies. And sometimes you've got to know what you're walking into. Yeah. See, but I come from a time when movies were films. Good morning, movie friends. Welcome back to the quarter cinema podcast. I'm your host Logan. Here we talk about everything film and TV. This past weekend, I watched a couple films that was very highly anticipating this entire year. Those two films being David Fincher's The Killer as well as The Holdovers. I love both of these films so much. They're easily in my top 10 for the year already. I didn't really want to have to pick between doing an episode on one or the other. So I thought why not just do a double feature episode, a double whammy two for one, buy one get one free episode on both of these films. That's exactly what I brought for you today. And I hope you enjoy this episode so much. If you find yourself a little bit engaged by this episode or enjoying it even a little bit, then like it, review it, whatever you want to do. It helps us out. It keeps the fridge full. It keeps the lights on. None of this is possible without you guys. I want to thank you for that. I'll make sure this episode gets time stamps so you can skip to whatever you want to. And without the way, I'll go ahead and stop my app and then start our episode out with the killer from David Fincher. The Killer had its wide release last week Friday on Netflix. It comes to us from the great, the wonderful David Fincher. The screenplay for this film was brought to us by Andrew Kevin Walker, who collaborated with David Fincher already on Seven, and he comes back here with an incredible screenplay for this film. The film was based off of the graphic novel The Killer from Alex Nolan, and I think it's an incredible adapted screenplay here. The plot follows an assassin after a fateful near miss. He battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. The Killer was definitely one of my most anticipated films of the year, but I would be lying if I say I kind of forgot about it for a period of time. It almost got lost in the noise of this entire year. I mean, we had a lot of films coming out this year like Oppenheimer and Barbie, but even when it was making its rounds during the festival seasons like Venice Festival and TIFF and Cannes, I think it premiered out as well, it kind of got lost in the noise of Killers of the Flower Moon or The Boy and Heron from Miyazaki, or, and the list goes on forever. It definitely got lost in the noise of everything else that was coming out, so I kind of forgot about it. It had a pretty limited release a few weeks ago, and I didn't have a chance to see it. Nowhere that I'm near was able to show the movie, but I got a chance to watch it on Friday on Netflix, and it's definitely one of my personal favorites of the year. I forgot how fun a David Fincher film can be, not only because of the writing, but also just because of the look and feel that he brings to a story. David Fincher collaborated with Eric Messerschmidt on this film, who he worked with for Gone Girl and Mink in the past. And they just did an incredible job with the cinematography for this movie. Such deep, heavy blacks, a pretty muted color palette, but also just so well done somehow. So vibrant, so full of life and character that only he can bring to a movie. I think the cinematography for this movie makes this film so masterful and engaging, addictive screenplay that hooks the audience from start to finish. This definitely is one of the most fun films of the year, one of some of the most fun I've had in a Fincher film in general throughout his entire filmography. It is still just more of a crime thriller, so it's very methodical and intricate in its execution, but still finds its way to be so fun. It doesn't feel like homework or a chore that you're watching this film. still not an action movie. It's not John Wick 4. We only have one fight scene in this film, one fight scene that is absolutely incredible. I think one of the best fight scenes from this entire year by far. But that's still not the movie. It does have that one great action sequence, but it's not a John Wick 4. John Wick 4 is what John Wick 4 needs to be. This is a Fincher thriller that's very slow burn, methodical movie that I love and that I appreciate from David Fincher. But for a lot of people going in, I think just from the marketing, it's just not going to be what they expect. Which is completely understandable, but still somewhat of invalid criticism in my opinion. The acting for this movie is also just very, very good. Overall, a pretty small cast. Our main character is Michael Fassbender, who I think did a very, very good job. A pretty solid, subtle acting performance. I remember seeing this film first get announced, and I didn't really care that it was David Fincher, but I really more so cared that it was a David Fincher and Michael Fassbender movie. I feel like a very large amount of Michael Fassbender's career has just been a lot of bad movies. I mean, Assassin's Creed, the X-Men movies were overall pretty good but for the most part a failure on their part and he was really the best part of those films being an incredible actor and also the alien prequels were pretty bad as well he's never really had his time to shine in a good movie with a good director besides i mean inglorious bastards the steve jobs biopic that no one really cares about and this movie which he does so very, very good from start to finish, every single scene that he's in. He brings just this aura and this presence that only he can do, and he did a very good job with that. Also, another good actor in this movie, Tilda Swinton, who only had like 10 minutes of screen time, but surprisingly ate up every single minute of those 10 minutes. Very short, and I wouldn't expect anything less from her, from an actress of her caliber and being one of the best actresses of this generation, but easily. I mean, she just really just did a great job in just really one scene. One little sequence, and she just was one of the standouts of the entire film. It has to be studied how she does this again and again and again. One, two scene performances that are just some of the best in the entire film. I could definitely see her picking up a Best Supporting Actress nomination, and I wouldn't even be surprised or mad in any means. Also, one of my favorite aspects of this movie is definitely the soundtrack for this film, done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who worked on Soul recently from Pixar, as well as The Social Network. Two very, very good composers. I love them so much. But just the needle drops in this movie are the Smiths, and there's so much of the Smiths in this film, it's honestly concerning. It's not even just one or two songs, but just repeatedly, again and again, scene after scene, it's The Smiths, And I was wondering why David Fincher actually came out and said, we needed something that fit the nature of our lead character. And The Smiths were the requisite mix of sardonic and harmonic and nihilist. That definitely does make a little bit more sense, but if I was in Fincher's shoes, I would have gone with something like The Beach Boys or even Boys Who Cried. That's just the better choice for me. Another noticeable aspect with this film is that it's very different when you compare it to other Fincher movies. Everything with this film is more linear, more of a domino effect causation style of storytelling which is something different when you look at films like maybe Fight Club or Seven there's no big twist in the end everything is kind of shown to you and then it happens which can make it a little bit underwhelming but also just a little bit more straightforward and just kind of turn your brain off fun thriller which I really enjoy I found the narration in a more chapter-based way of telling the story to be a lot more fun and just more personal and engaging for the audience This film is more of a mesh between James Bond, John Wick, and even Drive with Ryan Gosling, and I'm here for every single second of it. So what's my final take? Should you see it? Should you stay away from it? What's the deal with this one? It's definitely one of my favorites. I ranked it 4.5 out of 5. It's in my top 10 of the year easily. It's not John Wick, but it's definitely something a little bit more thrillery, if that's even a word. All right, well, that wraps up our review for David Fincher's The Killer. We're going to go ahead and dive into our review for The Holdovers. I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same. way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. The Holdover was released last week Friday from Miramax and Focus Features. Comes to us from Alex Payne, who recently directed Downsizing with Matt Damon. Not too good of a film there. This film was written from David Hemmingson, actually his first writing credit, which is very, very impressive. The film follows a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school, is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go home. I remember seeing the trailer for this film pretty frequently, just in more lower-budget films and a little bit of more higher-budget films like Oppenheimer and Past Lives. I think Priscilla saw the trailer for this film again, and overall, I wasn't really too excited for it. It looked like it was going to be a movie. It looked like a movie that was going to be just fine for me. Well, as festival season started building up, like the Toronto International Film Festival and New York Film Festival, I saw this film getting a lot of hype and a lot of praise. Some people saying it's one of the best films of the year, one of their favorite films of all time, Paul Giamatti giving one of the best performances in his entire career. So I was like, hey, yo, what's going on here? So I had to go and check it out for myself, seeing if all of this was just people getting blackmailed to hype up this movie, or if it's actually legit. So I saw it Saturday morning, and without a shadow of a doubt, this movie is one of my favorite holiday films of all time, easily. I absolutely loved it. I adored it. It's in my top 10 on the year already, and I just want to see it again. Let's go ahead and talk about it. The holdovers doesn't do anything special, by any means. It doesn't really do anything different. It's not trying to be a different movie. It's not like it's everything everywhere all at once. It's really a movie that you've seen before. This movie is very familiar, and familiarity in movies can be really bad, like with the creator from earlier this year. We had an episode on that, too. And it can also be really good, like with what this film does. This movie is really masterful in its simplicity. It doesn't really need to be too much, but what it is is very simple and very effective. The word instant classic gets thrown around a lot when it comes to movies, and With this film, The Holdovers, it's definitely an instant classic. It's immediately going to be one of your favorites of all time. I will be watching this movie every single year for the rest of my life. Easily. When the holidays come around, I will be watching The Holdovers immediately. This film resembles movies like The Christmas Story or Good Will Hunting or even Home Alone and takes all those aspects and makes an incredible instant classic. Just the perfect coming-of-age Christmas drama that makes you feel good and appreciate what you have in the world. That's all you really need in a Christmas movie. And if it does that, It's automatically a banger. That's what movies like Elf does, movies like Home Alone, even Polar Express. All of my favorite Christmas movies do that, and this does that as well, which makes me adore it. Really capturing the aura of Christmas and the holidays is so important for any Christmas movie, and here does it really well. I live in a state that doesn't get really cold or a lot of snow ever. If it gets really cold or a lot of snow in this state, then the war is officially ending. That's how hot it gets here. Right now, I'm recording this in November, and it's 76 degrees. Really, this movie selling me the feeling of cold when I haven't felt cold in months is very surprising. It's very impressive. In this film, it's about 10 degrees outside. They're just trying to bundle up inside and stay cozy. They're around a table eating sloppy joes and french fries as the holiday season looms over them. This movie is just perfect for a cool winter afternoon. Right now, I have a taste for Sloppy Joe's and French fries like they were eating in the movie, even though tomorrow, it'll probably be like 100 degrees outside again. I don't even care. I just want something warm in my stomach like Sloppy Joe's or even a good soup. I don't even care. Let's talk about the acting in this film. And the big elephant in this movie is Paul Giamatti, who is an actor who's been acting for many years. If you're really above the age of five, then you should know who Paul Giamatti is in some movie. He started in like over 100 films. He's always been just kind of an actor who's just there, a really good supporting actor. So here, he definitely gives one of the best performances in his entire career, let alone the entire year as well. And when I heard that Paul Giamatti gave an Oscar-worthy performance in this movie, which seems to be like a comedy I was pretty surprised. I was like, really? He gives a performance that's on par with something like Julian Murphy in Oppenheimer. I didn't believe him. I thought they were just speaking crazy talk. And after seeing the film, it looks like I was the fool to everything that he couldn't give a Oscar-worthy performance because he really knocks it out of the park with this movie couple of other notable supporting actors for this film Dominic Sessa who is in this film in his acting debut he is really good in this film he's only been in some other you know short underground films and this is his first major feature he does an incredible job I can't wait to see what other work he does and definitely probably a supporting actor worthy movie for sure he definitely does capture that essence of a character that we've seen before but does it in a different way somehow and makes it his own performance which is so cool also Davine Joy randolph who is absolutely brilliant in every single scene she definitely feels like the heart of this film in a movie that has enough heart as is she's the character that you're going to be maybe the most connected to speaking of characters the characters in this film have so much depth even characters who have maybe five minutes of screen time somehow have something about them something special and unique to this world to this movie also the comedy for this film never misses not even once every joke lands in spades my whole theater was uproaring in laughter, and I can't even blame them. It's absolute hilarious slapstick fun comedy that I can never get enough of. Even behind the camera, the cinematography and also the soundtrack captured this setting so well. They shot this film on the Arri Alexa, more of an industry standard camera, nothing too fancy here, but they added a lot of film grain and digital noise in post-production to make it feel like it was shot in the 70s, which this film takes place in. They said they wanted this film to feel like it was locked in a vault since the 1970s, and that's exactly what it feels like. When I was watching the film, I was noticing how much it feels like The Graduate from 1967. Just the way it was shot, the way it feels, it definitely takes, I think, bits and pieces of inspiration from other films around the 70s, before and after. That makes it what it is, which is just incredible. So what's our final verdict for this film? Is it good? Is it bad? Should you see it? It's one of my favorites of the entire year. Favorites of all time. It's a must-watch for the holiday season easily. It's an instant classic. Four and a half out of five. Go watch this movie right now before you do anything else. Well, that wraps up our reviews for both of these films, respectively, and I absolutely adored both of these so much. Before I send you guys off to watch some more films, I do want to open up a new segment that we have on the show called The Big Question. We open up with a little bit of a question to tickle your brain a little bit, get your mind moving around and running around a little bit. You can respond to us on Spotify, our speak pipe down below, it's how you can call into the show, or even through our email, or any of our socials for that matter. And without further ado, this episode's big question is, what's a film that feels like a hug? And for me, a little bit of recency bias, but it's definitely going to be the holdovers. But besides that, I'd say Over the Hedge. I've watched that film four times this year, as well as Meet the Robinsons. I love that movie. But what's your pick? Let us know had a lot of fun with this one. Thanks for showing up to this episode of The Course in my podcast. If you found this one fun or informative in any way, then leave a review or share it. It helps us out more than you know. Stick around for these next few days. We're going to be doing our Captain Marvel review, which I'm not too excited for that. Got to go see it in a little bit here. On top of that, we have a little bit more fun stuff planned for the month of November, and our segue into the holiday season of December will be a whole ton of fun. But until then, find us on all of our socials linked down below, and as always, I've been your host, slogan, and I'll see you in the movies.